All right, Leah says we're ready to go. <laughs> so we're ready to go. <laughs> My name is Monty Sokup. I'm the chair of the Affordable Housing Advisory Board, and we're going to call this meeting to order. Uh, I'm going to take roll right off the bat, and then we'll have a few comments about the orders and rules of the meeting. So with that, I'm going to take roll. Karen? Here. Sarah? Absent Nicholas? Nicholas here. Philip? Here. Mark? Here. Christina? Here. Erica? Here. Dana? Here. Shannon? I don't see Shannon. Thomas? Here. Trent? I don't Shannon's see. in New Zealand at the World Games. Oh, that's about right. About that. How about that? Uh, Monty, here. So we have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine members present. I think that establishes a quorum. And with that, I will turn it over to Leah to read the rules of the road. Thank you, Mr. Chair, and good morning, everyone. I have a few housekeeping items for this hybrid meeting. This meeting is being recorded and broadcast on City's YouTube channel and cable channel 25. Please remember to mute yourself during the meeting when you are not speaking. The chat function for this public meeting has been disabled. All chats will go directly to me. Unless you are participating during the meeting, please turn your video off. This allows the active meeting participants to be seen on screen. You will still be able to hear the meeting. When you are participating, please turn your video on. If you have any trouble, you can send me a chat. The city reserves the right to mute people or turn individual videos off to minimize distractions during the meeting. Now I'll make a few notes on public comment. When the chair calls for public comment, individuals attending in person should approach the podium to indicate they wish to speak. The podium can be raised and lowered, and we encourage you to use this feature to ensure your comments are heard. Individuals participating via Zoom should use the raise hand function to indicate they wish to speak. Please leave your virtual hand raised until you are called on. Individuals will be called on in the order they appear on the host meeting screen. Please state your name before speaking. All comments will be limited to three minutes. Thank you, and now I'll turn the meeting back over to Mr. Sokup. All right, thank you, Leah. Uh, at this point, we're gonna open uh, the floor for public comment. I will note that we had one written public comment, basically supporting uh, the code, the development code rewrite and our efforts in that and supporting that. So that was nice to get. Uh, I know, is there anyone online? I don't see anybody online. Oh, and Leah just put up the comment from Joel Campbell. Um, and there is no one in the room, so. Who are Danielle and Brad? Um, Those are city staff. They're online, they're in the mm -hmm. meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay, just wanna know. You wanna explain what they do, Leah, maybe that? Sure, um, Danny Waters is the Assistant Director of Planning and Development Service, Housing Initiatives Division, and Brad Carr, I, I'm not recalling his title, but he's also in the Housing Initiatives Division. He's a CDBG analyst. They've both been working with the AHAB since the board's inception. Thank you. Mm -hmm. You often see one of them, too, providing reports to us. Probably haven't seen that since you've been on, but. Okay, with that, I am going to close public comment. And we'll move on to uh, 
Item B, approving the minutes of the July 10th meeting. So I, I move that we accept the minutes as submitted. Thank you. Second. Second, so we have a motion and a second. Are there any comments on the minutes? I apologize, I didn't, was it Thomas yes. and? Uh, Phil. Phil. Thomas and Phil. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, any comments? If not, I'll take the roll. Karen? Agree. Nicholas? Abstain. Abstain, okay. Phil? Yeah. Yes. Mark? Yes. Christina? <coughs> Christina? That was a yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't hear you. Erica? Yes. Dana? Yes. Thomas? Yes. Monty? Yes. Motion passes. 841 abstention. All right. So this moves us on to item C, the regular agenda. Uh, receive update from the Affordable Housing Advisory Board Land Development Code Subcommittee. Um, there were several attachments that I'm sure everybody took a look at. But with that, I'm going to turn it over to Phil at this point to talk about the work that's been going on. And uh, ultimately, what we'd like to do today is approve some kind of recommendation to that subcommittee to move forward to push, uh, continue to push on the development code uh, for affordable housing. So well, I'll try to keep it brief. Uh, complex process, a lot of actors, different perspectives. You know, the Oldman product's going to be a legal document, and along with the building code and the fire code, uh, really going to set the, uh, the ground rules for development engagement for the next 15 to 20 years. So it, it's a pretty, uh, pretty important thing. Uh, I'm not going to, you know, go into any specificity on, on the recommendations. We can talk about any that, that people have uh, questions about. I'll just give you a real high level overview basically what the recommendations entail you know consist of our support for significant significantly increasing housing density both within the existing city boundaries and on any newly accepted ground uh, strongly support the notion of greater flexibility in the range of permitted or permitted by right housing forms over a much broader class of base zoning districts. And then, uh, of course, it pays special attention and emphasizes, you know, the need to reduce the costs and the burden associated with trying to to get in, increase the affordable housing stock uh, so that you know more persons of modest means have the opportunity to enjoy good quality shelter uh, I spent seven or eight hours uh, you know in in the Clarion Associates is, is the, the contractor heading the operation up, and they had a set of, of, 
of meetings. And so I, I went to all of them unless I had, you know, another time commitment. Uh, looking at it in the macro view, you know, based on my own review and, and the, the meetings and the meetings with the AHAB subcommittee, we had a meeting, the AHAB subcommittee had a meeting with Elizabeth from Clarion. I think it was right prior to the issuance of the module one draft. Uh, so th those three things basically informing my observations and I again very top level uh, you know based on based on that Clarion's attempts seem to hit quite a few of the of the draft recommendations that were were in the packet either the first version or the second version Se seem to you know hit quite a few of those though it's really critical to understand that the deep the the devil was really in the details okay I mean it's a detailed thing it's a legal document by definition and the details are all important and we really haven't seen very even though it runs to 200 pages at this point roughly we still haven't seen very many details okay so you got you got to bear that in mind uh, when when you look at the recommendations and how we might move forward uh, in my opinion, uh, looking at the module one material and comparing it to the draft recommendations, I would say that the thing that I, that I think is the weakest, where I don't see any linkage at all, is uh, Ahab's recommendations relative to congregate living and cooperative housing. Uh, they're, they're really... Uh, it doesn't even appear to be obtained, you know, considering alternatives to a, to a really standard formulation for what constitutes congregate living. I mean, they're, they're really, there's really nothing in there at this juncture. I believe that the basic definitions that are in the Module 1 draft are flawed from the get-go, and, uh, and if it's implemented in that form, uh, I don't think the results are going to uh, serve the community well going forward in that particular section, you know, in, in congregate living, cooperative housing, relative to Ahab's recommendations, as well as my own personal opinion. And then finally, you, you may or may not know, but the meeting in the box thing is now available uh, through the Land Development Code update. Uh, my wife and I spent Oh, a couple hours reviewing the thing and, and I would say that she's a trained social scientist and in 40 plus years she spent she was on all sides of survey work spent quite a bit of time writing them administering them analyzing them uh, and you know we're, we're really skeptical about the meeting in the box and we're concerned depending upon the response pool because the way it's laid out and the way it's available to, to the public, depending upon the response pool, one possibility is that the results will be interpreted in a fashion that uh, will be, I think, quite contrary to the AHAB recommendations. So I'll li leave it there and, and, and people can, we can talk about whatever you all want to talk about. So, Mr. Chairman, who? Who do I direct questions to? Is it Phil? Is it? I think either one or Jeff. Jeff or both. 
Um, one of them, first of all, I need somebody to explain uh, what equity impact means, <clears throat> how we're going to revise our code to review racial equity impact. And number one, uh, I don't, um, how do we do that? It's a long process that goes through the code and looks at what's occurred previously, looks at the historical record of it, and looks at how the codes have behaved in terms of social dynamics, economic dynamics, environmental dynamics, and I could give you a very quick synopsis and it wouldn't even scratch the surface, I think, on what it really does. Um, I wish Clarion was here, they have a very good way of describing it, but it's really looking at making sure the code has equity involved in it so that everyone has a chance to not just have housing, but have the housing type that they want and the location that they need and the proximity to the services that they would also desire. So bus, uh, bus stations, uh, park space, trails and, and systems. So making sure that those are designed into the code when you're doing subdivision regulations and the zoning aspects of it. But it, that's really a, I'm barely scratching the surface of what that really entails. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator, and I'm wondering if the AHAP subcommittee members might want to add anything further to that, since that was a discussion in the subcommittee. I, th can I, yeah, I mean, I'm only, I only have an opinion in the flawed perspective, but I think that we, uh, we talked about the notion of, of an overarching, you know, uh, excuse me, perha perhaps an independent, but, but certainly an, an overarching, you know, analysis of, of equity. And I'm not really all that familiar with, with the equity perspective and, and the, the analytical basis for evaluating the, the code based on equity, but, but I thought we were going to try to advocate for some sort of quasi-independent uh, overview of the code as it, as it develops or when it's developed, you know, some sort of quasi-independent overview of, of that material from an equity perspective. That's what, I thought we, that's what I thought we were going for, at one point anyway. Part of their initial documentation, what we did with the code, was there was an assessment that was published in January of 23 um, that goes through those kind of things and looks at, you know, what are those three kind of, they call them special topic areas that we're looking at for the code, like ways that it is intentionally looking through the way that it looks at the world. The three areas are affordable housing, sustainability, and equity. And so all of those three things are driving all the aspects of the code's rewrite, and that's kind of the, the heart of what it is striving to do. Uh, okay, <clears throat> I'll go on. Um, if, uh, I assume, Additional development on 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 all properties, basically in our community, uh, whether it's an accessory dwelling unit or room for another house, whatever, duplex, triplex, whatever. Has anyone uh, considered the fact that this goes very well, and <clears throat> we have increased density by? I don't think you could just double it. That that's that's crazy. But um, as we develop these sites, I know uh, living in the older part of Lawrence, 
for a long time that um, our sewer system, uh, water lines, I guess, can be adapted pretty much anywhere. Sewer systems are a little bit different. Um, storm and sanitary. Do we have a, a, a fiscal idea on the impact? Um, you put, you know, 40 additional units in in a block. Um, just imagine east east of Mass and south of 15th uh, to 17th. Do we have any feel for what we're going to do? And I and I only talk about the money because we're talking about affordability and whether um, the developer. The developer will put in the sewer line, you know, the, the house next door now will put in the sewer line to tap in, but I've, I have experience in development, and when those taps occur, the system they're tapping into is unable to accept that tap in a safe and appropriate manner. So now we have a downstream problem, and, um, and I don't think it'd be fair to make me that's going to add the additional unit pay for the entire system, but you see where I'm going. We add density to existing sewer s structures, and and I'm telling you we have trouble. Mm -hmm. So have we talked about that? Yes, MSO has looked into some of those details. They're doing what's called an asset management program, which looks at the lines and the details of the lines and capacities to understand what's going on. And it's early days on that one, and I'm by no means an engineer, so sure. I can't really relay a lot with the detail, but they are looking as part of that is when they're doing it is to understand it. So it's we are not looking at it directly in this code, but we're having those conversations with them because you're exactly right. There are capacity issues at stormwater, sewer, solid waste, those other services that people will have that we have to make sure that we're accounting for sure. as part of the development process. Well, I see this likely going to the community at large. I don't think a special assessment district would be equitable. <laughs> um, depending on where you're doing it and who you're doing it for. So my sense is no matter the cost, that's going to be an at-large acceptance of responsibility. Uh, I'm not against that. I, I, just, I just want the community to understand it that um, I, I've been a part of developments where we've been on the fringe and we've said we want to put in 12 or 13 lots and they say, oh, we can't do that because we're going into an existing system, and that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. And so you'd have to do this and you'd have to do that. So, so this is gonna come whether it's one at a time or three at a time or a hundred at a time over time. This is gonna be an at-large cost, I'm confident. And do you think it'd be anything different than that? I don't know. I really don't. It just depends on the scale and the size and the lines, and there's a lot of details that go into that. I know when we do these projects, even even today, we do things like the downstream sanitary sewer analysis as part of a platting process or as part of a development process. So we understand, you know, what are the rates and the line capacities that we've got in mm -hmm. there. I think MSO has a pretty good idea to handle on on what the lines are at, the ages, the conditions they're in, to have those conversations. And yeah, not off the top of my head, I don't know the details, but I, I think there's a lot of details and process tools that they have in place that they can help address so, and do those conversations. So when, so when we say by right means, I think we can just do it. <laughs> I mean, there's some rules. It's got to be safe. and but, but by right will probably need to be a review from the MSO. 
Correct. As, as the firehouse and the cops and the whole bunch, right? right? Yeah, so yeah, when it's a buy right process, it means it's ministerial. If you meet all the boxes and you have all the marks, we just tick the box and you're yeah. out the door and running. Now, things like a special use permit or rezoning require a judicial review, and that's a different sure. thing. But if it's buy right, then it's really just, you know, look at the code, does it comply, and then keep going. Yeah. I, okay. Um, I'll let other people ask questions. I have, I have a ton, so I'll, I'll be quiet for a while. So um, I noticed that there's nothing about the overlay zoning that we talked about in the, so can you talk about in or out? What's the thought process on that? It's just was something that came out of, you know, we've talked about, but I don't see it in there. Yeah, still reviewing. It's it's coming up in, I think, in later sections, and we're still looking at a large portion of what even in module one to make sure that it dovetails correctly in module two. What we did do with this one is in the plan development section, which is article seven of the new code, <clears throat> there is an affordable housing plan development I'm going to say district, and that may not be the right last word there. It might be a little bit different word. Um, to kind of go through that initial phasing and, and looking at the processes there. So what you really want to do in, in these codes is overlays are usually, be a little hyperlated, a last resort tactic. Is if you don't get your base districts right, then that's what you do to kind of go in with the overlay. But if you get your base districts correct and everything is set up in there, you may neutralize the need for an overlay. And so what they're doing right now is they're trying to make sure that the base districts are dialed in at the right point with the right levels of overlap and use permissions in there that may not render overlay necessary. So it may just be baked in there from the very beginning of it. Now, that doesn't mean we might not get to a point where we still want to have an overlay or want to change the plan development portion of the code to maybe accommodate some of those things. But that's kind of the, the impetus is if you don't get your base districts right, then the overlay is what you do next to kind of spur that ask along the way. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Just a couple of um, thoughts in addition regarding the overlay and what is currently being proposed in Module 1. So what the AHAB subcommittee recommended for an overlay is to develop, uh, to um, embed an, over, an affordable housing overlay when it's 100% affordable units. If you'll notice, module one includes overlays for, for instance, KU, which allows them a great deal more flexibility than any other development. Um, and what the subcommittee was recommending was, again, for 100% affordable units, it's not just um, in terms of um, incentives or greater density, but um, some, some additional incentives. So perhaps reduce sidewalk requirements, flexibility and tree requirements, perhaps reduce parking requirements, um, additional density bonuses, streamline permitting and process, rule-based approval processes, pre-approved plans for affordable housing units, um, et cetera. What's currently in module one is, as just stated, um, affordable housing plan developments. So this does not include 100% affordable units, and in fact, what's currently written in the draft is only 10% of the units need to be affordable income restricted. 
so in my in my mind, this misses the mark, um, and would recommend that the Ahab look closely at what is in the draft recommendations in terms of the percentage of affordable units and the years of affordability. For instance, right now, it's only a period of for at least 30 years. Um, and offer some further recommendations on that based on um, what we've seen from other communities. And we have some good examples of that. And this is, this is qu <laughs> quite low um, based yeah. on what other communities are doing. Just two things to note there. Those numbers were just one numbers we've plugged in there. They are totally open for discussion and debate. We were just trying to start the grid on those. So that is not a set in stone number. The other thing I need to note there is that the university does not have an overlay district. The university has a special purpose based district which is governed by a separate cooperative agreement. So it is not an overlay true and proper in the way you would see in the code. Mm. Okay. Duly noted. <laughs> um, so I guess I'm with, uh, I'd agree that whether this was intentional or not, this need, the, the incentive needs to be more intensive. You know, we need something like 50% or something, and we should shoot for permanently affordable if we're going to have these I mean from our at least from my perspective on the affordable housing board we should be shooting for permanent affordability and we should be shooting for a higher percentage of if this is of units that are affordable if this is the kind of format that we're going to try to you know push forward do you think the incentives need to be increased well, no, it, those, incent those incentives aren't very sexy to me. It's right. like we're we're really going to let you do this quick, and in my perfect world, we let the whole community do things quick, mm -hmm. and we get things approved, and we get things moving. So, right. you know, we're we're going to treat you right. Is kind of what we're saying, and that's that's frustrating. Well, I think we're asking for you know. These aren't insignificant things. Reduced parking requirement is not an insignificant thing that puts a burden on the community <laughs> yeah. as well. And, and, and so and no, the developers. So, I mean, there's... And no sidewalks. There's and a balance. Likely ADA issues. Are you kidding? That's what we need is sidewalks. Right. I mean, wh when did no sidewalks give me a break? I think we need them everywhere. If I can clarify this sidewalk, it's not in the recommendation by the subcommittee wasn't to eliminate sidewalk requirements. It was um, flexibility in when sidewalks are put in. And some developers could speak to this better than I, but the sidewalks have to be put in when the development is still ongoing, and then often they have to be redone. That, that should have been fixed 30 years ago. That's, <laughs> that's wasting money. It was actually fixed about five years ago. We adjusted the code so the okay. sidewalks were not required until either one of two conditions were met. So we did get that one right. about four or five years ago. Great. That's what I mean. That, that should be standard fare in our community. Um, well, I guess I'll keep asking. I'm intrigued by... Page two, um, uh, number eight, I, I want to know what the whiteness, I want to know what white values we have 
put on the world that need to be removed. Number eight, reflect white value-based mental models of neighborhood design. I, 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 tell me about that. We developed several subdivisions and I'm white, um, but I'm trying to I'm trying to reflect back on on the sins of my past and the sins of hundreds of others. This is the Arizona Affordable Housing Administrator. I'd like to open the space for the subcommittee to um, to comment, but I'm happy to if. So, um, for example, um, um, the emphasis and prioritization of single-family units that prioritizes and assumes that families are a nuclear family, a, a one-generational nuclear family, might be an example of um, a white cultural value of a nuclear of single generation nuclear family, as opposed to um, many BIPOC communities of color, um, is more typical for multiple generations to be living in a household together. Okay. Um, so that's just one example. So, for example, um, correcting that might be greater allowability in ADUs, taking into account that there are multiple generations, or um, currently there are restrictions based on the number of unrelated individuals that can live together in a single household. So the code is um, defining what family is based on blood, um, which may not and is not how everyone defines family. Family is made up in many different ways. So those are just a couple examples. Okay. And again, I would welcome the, uh, the subcommittee members to speak to this. Um, but many families can live in a single family house today, right? We, we can have grandma and grandpa or whoever's here to help, family or not, related or not. That. I, I, I don't think we spent, I don't think we police that. Related. Related, yes. Multi-generational. Okay, so this is about, this is about not related. Let go. I think our current code talks about unrelated people. I, so that's, I, I know that. Okay. So I think that's what we're looking at is saying that is assuming that your family is related to you. You may have people that are unrelated that don't look like. Right. And to some of us wouldn't look like but, look like family, but, but maybe family. Four college kids next door in a neighborhood near campus where I live mm -hmm. and four cars and four girlfriends, regardless of ethnicity, etc. Right. Some might find not the greatest idea. Understand that. And I think that's probably where the code was written around around campus. Absolutely. Probably, was. Right. So we're trying well, you're to protected. You're protected where you live, if you live in a residential neighborhood. Okay. So, I think it was written around a problem to try to solve a problem, Agreed. right? But it has other impacts throughout the community that were unintended. So I think the idea of this is to look at those languages and try to eliminate the unintended consequences of some of that language. 
that's what I think the whole purpose of this is, is we, we use certain language to maybe solve problems and it essentially caused other problems. Mm -hmm. So it just needs to be re, just carefully thought through, I think, whether those are white-based values or whether that was to stop eight guys from living in a house next to campus, you know, in a four-bedroom house. You know, I you know there's, there's a lot going on in Lawrence, obviously. Right. But I think, again, the attention is let's take a look at this language and how it's used and make sure that it's not causing other issues for families that don't necessarily admit, fit the traditional white model of a family or I'm interested in that related or unrelated I'm still not interested in four college kids and right four, I think we, we I would agree with you for their or not families or not number eight however right. does not refer to family makeup or the language around uh, the unit that's doing it it's about the structure it's about existing character of neighborhood well tell me where the family is in that it's not uh, enhance the aesthetics and higher quality design. None of those are referring to what you're talking about. Those are not about populations. Those are about structure. Those are about built form. Mm -hmm. None of this here talks about what you're talking about, which is, uh, you know, for, for college guys. This talks about something very different than that. Okay. I wouldn't disagree with that. Are, is what you're yeah. suggesting that the, the first sentence under number eight be eliminated and we uh, or, or modified at least, and, and that, but the, the points down below that, A, B, and C, the stuff that relates to what, what you're terming form, uh, A, B, and C under eight. We're talking. I see, I see what you're talking about. Okay. So, so, where do those, you know, those are in quotes, those come from someplace. What are those from? Nicholas Ward of Tenants to Homeowners. I think one of the things uh, potentially that might be misconstrued is that. Um, Right, you can talk about whiteness as, there's like a studies program here, but you can talk about whiteness as an ethnicity, but you can also talk about it as a set of cultural values, which could extend beyond someone's own whiteness, but it might be that you hold what are known as white cultural values, not your ethnicity. Um, and so I think that's probably my guess how this is being talked about here, the cultural values, not necessarily whether or not someone is white, but having these kind of very specific, what are known as like white American values for how a household would be structured or look or function, and that not everybody, while they may live here, participates in the white, val white cultural values of how you would administer or have a household. That makes sense. Yeah. And I think some of that might even be things like having a yard and what size the yard would be. It might be the family makeup. Um, could be a lot of different things. And so I think there's, there's probably some people that could better speak to the, the cultural component of that versus the ethnic component of that. But I think that's where the, in quotes, that's why it's in quotes, white values, I believe. And, and so we're talking about this, this cultural identifier, but it's, I, to me it, is, it feels very uh, undefined. You know, it's in quotes, which means that it comes from someplace. I'd like to know what that place is. And I mean, to me, it's random. It feels random. Yeah, and maybe it's not the best terminology. Maybe there's a way that, you know, that's a hyperlink to um, a number of things that are specifically outlined that could be identified so that it's not this kind of um, 
if it's feeling like a trigger term to people and it but then it's unclear also then what what exactly is being defined by so what it feels to me like it's defining is an exclusionary values based language yeah and so that exclusionary element could be any number of value systems and i think there was just an article that came out in the new york times that talks about how um, this is today or yesterday, I think, but it's speaking specifically to how what we've done with zoning with single-family housing is the, the key thing that's led up to the, the struggles that we have with affordable housing right now. And a lot of that was a disallowance for people to exist in the way that they would want to in areas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think might be that, that that whiteness component as a cultural value is being tied back to how single-family zoning is structured, which is the exact thing that we're working on remedying right now. Um, but I think that's, my guess would be that's where that's coming from. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. And just to clarify, so this document is like a, a layman's term based on what the language we were using in the subcommittee, the things, the themes and ideas we were talking about in the subcommittee. This other document is the more technical document that would be the actual recommendations that the AHAB would be approving, and you can see that that language is not in this document. And then to clarify, the quotes in A, B, and C, those are in quotes because that is currently language in the code regarding um, maintaining existing character of neighborhoods, enhancing the aesthetics of the neighborhoods, higher quality design. Those are terms used in the code without defining what exactly that means. And so somebody's making a value judgment on that. We don't, we don't have a, a problem per se with um, developing in an area where we want certain materials used or certain structures there or not there, do we? Do it, are, are covenants just on their face going to be, we don't recognize, they're illegal, if we want, if we want all lap siding or every, everybody's going to be tan, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. Those kind of covenants, that's, that's not what we're talking about, right? Uh, look, I mean, we're we're talking about the, the land development code and, and the, the language that, that, that's going to be in the revised land development code. I think the point of this number eight, and I don't want to beat it up, was that it, it's well established that the, the, the existing development pat, residential development pattern in the United States in part reflects the use of, of ambiguous terms, in particular the notion of the existing character of neighborhood. And, you know, those are the kind of terms that when you develop a coherent, you know, code that, that you, you want to try to eliminate based on equity concerns and based more practically since the overarching notion behind the land development code update as it's currently proceeding is to increase density okay i mean we we, we've made that decision and i don't think it's going to change it the, the the various forms of it may well change but that overarching decision has already been made regardless of impact i well i don't I, I can't speak to that, Mark. I mean, I, okay. I mean, they're go, they're going to be impacts. 
Yes, there are going no, to be impacts. I'm talking about fiscal impacts. I know. To sewer, to to your pocketbook, to you're, you're talking to a guy to, a, to a affordable. Time at fiscal that's impacts. A, okay. That's okay. a two-way street too, because if I develop less density and I have less sewers, I have more streets and more streets to maintain and remove <laughs> snow from and all that. So there's it's that's a two-sided equation. It's not just the sewers. You can't parcel that out by itself. It's not just the water line. You have less sewer to develop. It might have to be a larger diameter, but it's less length. So there's there's a lot. Until we get to the one that's sitting back there, and then that length's going to be different. Right. No, you're right. No, there, there are definitely going to be. There's going to be impact, but I don't know that you can project that out. There's going to be impact if we do nothing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you saw the la one of the last applications for the one uh, out there west of Rock Chalk Park where they could only develop half of the sewer district because it was gonna take a new major line to run or the city was gonna have to accept a pumping station. So there's there's impacts with every project. Yes. I, I don't think you can lay on this. I'm not this laying code. on I'm not laying it on it this. Is. What I'm saying is this isn't gonna be free. This isn't gonna be by right. This isn't gonna be Quite as easy as some theoretically believe it to be. Oh, no. I won't disagree with that. I won't disagree with Willie, that either. I, I think <laughs> what we're doing is setting a framework where we get to ask those questions. So project by project, can this fit here? <clears throat> is there sewer capacity? If not, what would it cost? Um, Intel, we're not pushing the envelope enough to even find out what what locations have more availability than others. So. Yeah. I, I don't think any of this ever says we're going to build where sewer capacity isn't available. That's a whole other set of processes that are b behind and beyond the land development code. I think we got set up, I mean, there was a really, like you mentioned that article, it talked about, you know, land development code that was set up in the early 20th century. That projects, you know, we really set ourselves up to have suburban growth, not urban growth. And that's kind of the way a lot of our, a lot of the code is set up, and that is not dense development. So we, we've got, you know, a hundred years of that to kind of reel back in to try to get that density, so we don't just continue to sprawl. So I think that's what the balance we're trying to create. I, you know, I don't know if we're there, but I think that's what we're trying to kind of reel back in and say, look, we need some areas of dense, higher density. Or we're just going to continue to sprawl, you know, on these 10,000 to 15,000 square foot lots. And there's a cost. <laughs> there aren't many of those anymore. <clears throat> there are some, but there's some, but but RS1 is long dead, which used to be 10,000 feet, and then there was RS2, which was seven, and then I don't even know what we call them now, but. Code currently has RS3 through RS40, so between 3,000 to 40,000 square feet, depending upon what it is, and it's 3, 5, 7, 10, 20, and 40 all the way up. On basically square footage numbers. Yeah. yeah. They're all based on the, the minimum yeah. lot size requirements. Yeah. yeah. But you haven't seen too many 10s and 15s lately, have you? Not lately, no. No. Well, I should rephrase that. Not zoned that, but lots developed and platted to that, I would have to say. We've seen some that are platted to that, but zoned RS7 or RS5. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's a whole other issue. That, that's, yeah, <laughs> that we get something zoned R three, and you can still build a fifteen thousand square foot lot on it. 
And I think that's one of the things that the land development code was hoping to tackle is instead right. of having minimum lot sizes, you have maximum having, lot sizes yeah. or a, a range. Right? So we, we have some predictability with the zonings that we right. have. So was it this? Uh, <laughs> was it the committee's idea about the? Uh, I noticed someone an, an ombudsman. Is this is this kind of a, an idea that we have? Um, it's on the third page under. I'm jumping around. I'm I'm trying to quit talking here, um, and cut down all my questions because I'm apparently not. <laughs> um, Let's see, number 10, F on number 10, assigned development ombudsman or single point of contact. <clears throat> Would that be someone in the city? Is, is that single? What, what's that about? So this was one idea to get at how do we really simplify uh, the process for developers where questions can be answered and known um, and if, and if I've, I've certainly talked to developers and I would throw nonprofits into that mm -hmm. also that say, you know, we, we do want to push back on that, but we're afraid to because we don't want to get held up any longer. If having a, a kind of a safe person ombudsman to go to within that city to kind of broker some of those things, um, which also helps us flag problems in our code before they hit multiple developers, which is what we have now. I get it. Well, that's, I think that's an attitude issue. Yeah. Quite frankly. So, okay. And if I may there, that you just basically described my job. That, that is my that's, role, is to be the ombudsman. kind of my point. To go through that process and do that kind of work. And I do have a lot of people reach out to me and I do help in that regard there, but that's, that's effectively my role in the department. Okay, I'm gonna reel us back in here for a minute. <laughs> so I think the idea of this agenda item was to adopt, uh, I think the second uh, document. It has a little more detail and a little more specificity uh, as a recommendation to continue to move forward and uh, just so that the people that are representing us in those meetings really have the, buy-in of the entire committee uh, and can say, you know, this isn't my opinion, this is the opinion of the, you know, the <coughs> committee reviewed and pushed forward. So if we look at the, uh, uh, not the simplified version, but the little more technical version. Draft recommendations start on page 11. Yeah. As of June 8th? Uh, yeah, draft recommendations as of June 8th, 2023, that document. So under I have a question under ethics, equity, and community engagement. Mm -hmm. I'm interested, who, who wrote the code language section? I did. Okay. All right, let me reread it. I, I get lost. Well, and if we wanted, I mean, we could wordsmith that a little. Maybe instead of, you know, I, I don't know what you're disagreeing with, but maybe it's dominant community values. You know, that could be the historic development code values or something like that. Um, I don't know if there's might, you know. Okay, this is Christina Gentry. Um, 
member who has received or is receiving housing assistance. I'm so sorry, Monty, to cut you off. No, that's um, fine. It's good. I wasn't really going to get into it because um, I think, you know, there are some um, levels of naivete and some really, not, like, really intermediate or in, in levels of understanding. Um, the colorblindness of fair housing law has, has just become second nature to many housing professionals. Um, but I want to just kind of touch upon, and this is not really open for discussion, it's just kind of what I want to hone in on based upon this conversation and, and um, interests that have, uh, that have been uh, made very loud here. Um, but just like Trump's using historical opportunity zones programs, um, Trump had an opportunity zone program. and. Before that, Bill Clinton had an empowerment zone. Um, and then, you know, even in 2019, I believe Elizabeth Warren had a proposal that, that looked to be something like a zoning to better understand and better incorporate what housing looked like. Um, but they held up federal redlining maps as a clear cause of lasting racial gaps. That's what the metric was used. Um, and they pretended it was neighborhoods that have been victims of discrimination when in any honest account we understand and we must acknowledge that it is people and specifically black people and people of color who were discriminated against, not neighborhoods. And so using and due to ambiguity of language that's been used in the past, I think direct language is appropriate. I think we could talk about what that looks like if people are triggered or feel sensitive to the word use and the language that's being used in our private, you know, subcommittee group, which I want to say I wasn't a part of, but I'm happy that this language is in there because these conversations could be ongoing in other spaces. Um, I, I am no teacher of what this looks like to be uh, talking about what dominant cultures and how they interact and intercede and also dominate conversations um, when it comes to kind of moving the, the metric of what colorblindness and fair housing looks like. Um, and I don't have the patience also to do that, but there are in some places, and I also note in the place of where we are today and what we want to continue to construct today in this space, I think there are really wealth and gaps, I mean like wealth and plethora of knowledge that you could uh, get online and find out and, and go to that would absolutely educate you in the space of what a dominant culture looks like and what language used in pre and existing past, how that is absolutely um, not been equitable. And the approach and the use of language I feel here is a good conversation to have and continue having outside of this space. Um, I, I really feel like it's doing a disservice when I hear people throw around terms like, do they have to be tan in order to um, be able to access these fundings or these uh, opportunities? And I hope that at one point we have another moderator that can control the conversation that is not so marginalizing to people of color who are sitting and trying to really be conducive and be a practicum in participating, but find it's very hard to um, have a conversation with open-minded folks who absolutely are aware of some of these colorblind, ambigu ambiguous languages that have been used, that have not made us make the metric and equity that we're looking to really dive in on. So that being said, um, I just, I don't want to drop it and leave, but I really do feel like I, if I didn't speak up right now that I would uh, regret it later on. So I'm just going to stop there too, and hopefully that helps to pad some 
opposite or not even if it is opposite of the conversation but um, before I lose my Wi-Fi and go out in and out I really <laughs> kind of wanted to touch on that subject that there's people of color here in space that would love for there to be not these kind of conversations where we have to educate those who are in spaces to make these judgments and make these recommendations that that really kind of make it difficult to have real in-depth movement and conversations with our um, with our cohorts in our in our committees. So I'm just going to say that because if I didn't, I wouldn't like myself tomorrow. Thank you, Christina. Just one question: Are you in agreement with the equity impact statement there that basically we should have? Uh, the code should be reviewed for these impacts with a lens of decreasing uh, the disparities, the racial disparities. And are you in agreement with that basic statement there that that's a, I, that we should absolutely. push forward? Okay. I'm sorry, Monty. Absolutely, absolutely. I just feel like some of the derailment or some of the conversation could be better had in a, another time when there was opportunities to really engage in, and educate, as opposed to kind of sidetrack or like give opportunities to be their triggers being heard. Um, I'm just going to speak to that very openly. Um, but I'm, I'm in, in full understanding of the code language, and I, I agree with it. Okay. All right, so the task at hand still here is, are we okay? Is this group okay supporting these draft recommendations? as our subcommittee people and the people involved in the process are working with the actual code consultant. Uh, so I would, at this point, uh, accept a motion to adopt these. Um, can I make one comment? I'd be happy yeah. to make a motion, but can I make one follow-up comment? And that is, I'm really concerned about this meeting in the box thing. I know it sounds like it's peripheral, but it, the way I'm seeing it laying out, I, I think it, I mean, I, I think that, that we need to understand what use the results of this meeting in a box thing are going to, how they are going to inform the construction of the land development code. Okay? I mean, because well, I don't. I don't. I'll, I'll shut up. I, I. I just. I feel very uncomfortable with it. <clears throat> yes, Mr. Chairman. Hmm? Um, you're trying to get a motion. I respect that. You're talking about meeting in the box. Do you mind if I ask him a question about meeting? Can I go on meeting in the box and do it 20 times? I don't. Jeff could probably answer that better than me. <laughs> It's yeah, feasible that somebody could go and participate in, in multiples of those, and that would make sense. The, the meeting in the box is just a way to kind of understand what people, kind of share their way of what people want Lawrence to be going forward. So if you, you, know, you were working in a neighborhood and then you had an interest group and you also did meeting in a box, you could probably take it a couple times just because you might have a different way of, of engaging in that as part of the community. So it's a survey, right? I, I, I opened it up and then I thought, oh, I can, I've got till the 15th, I can do that later. It, it, it's a it's a survey it's of, kind of, like of a sorts. Survey, yeah. How are you feeling? Exactly. Right? Kind of just you know share your thoughts and feelings on that yeah. one. It's it's not intended to be scientific or have a. It's basically it's a way for us to to get input to engage people on different parts that we may not be 
kind of just running into as part of this process, but if something is in your neighborhood and you're seeing it and you want right. to elevate it for that, that look or conversation, that's the hope with this. Then, then I have an opinion. The meeting in the box, the people making the decision won't care what it says. They will find within, within the survey results what they're interested in and they'll do what they're going to do. I don't know if that's good or bad, but yeah, well, is it? that's how life works. So, and, and so, I don't see where the recommendation, which we're asking for a motion on, references the meeting in the box. Does it? It does not reference okay. the meeting yes, in the box. Yes, it does. It does. Under community engagement, oh. it certainly does. Sorry. That's all right. All right, you that's wrote it. You brought it up. Wrote, that's right. Good. Thank you. Point of order. Are you taking public comment? Never stop him from taking. I know. Uh, Normally, public comment is made when discussion is closed after a motion is made and before the vote. There, there's. But we haven't made a motion yet. There's right. no motion on the. But we obviously want to hear from them. Yeah. At some yeah. point. So. Yeah. Yeah. So let us. Get, we'll give us a second. We'll open it up here. Just a second, okay? And Mr. Chair, just uh, in case uh, Dana also has her hand raised. Yeah. So I, uh, Dana, who has her hand up. Go ahead, Dana. You're on mute. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence. Um, Mr. Chairman, I, I appreciate Phil's enormous amount of work and hours that he's put in and anybody else on this team. I, I am concerned when he raised the issue of lack of definition of congregate living and co-op living because that is a tremendous avenue for households that are served by Family Promise to get out of shelter and move into, even if it's a temporary situation, move into some stable, more stable housing. So I think that absolutely needs to be addressed for the households served by Family Promise. Thank you. Thanks, Dana. Any other comments on points within the recommendation? Okay, then I'm gonna open it for public comment here real quick so that you can uh, speak. Thank you. Yeah. Hi, good, uh, good afternoon. My name is Michael Allman. I'm with Sustainability Action Network. Um, I'm impressed by the work that this body has done. Um, th this is a, a major leverage point for affordable housing from what I can tell, and many other things in the community. Um, my organization comes to the issue of density for the purpose primarily of avoiding urban sprawl into our you know, uh, adjacent uh, prime farmland and natural habitat. But density has multiple benefits, as we know, and affordability is one of the major ones. So I think you're doing great work, but I have a few ideas, suggestions that you might consider. Um, first of all, as the code currently is written in the draft, there's nothing compelling a developer to do anything other than 
large lot, single dwelling housing. There's nothing requiring it. The option is still there. Matter of fact, in R1, R2, and R4, the way it's drafted, there's no mention of um, commercial at all. So I would suggest that you emphasize that all residential districts in include commercial uses. And now that could be stated, you know, by right, however you want to do it, but it also should consider accessory commercial uses, ACUs, and that would apply not only to new development, but existing neighborhoods right now. Um, another thing that concerns me about whether this, this community will head towards the direction of mixed use is that right now any newly annexed land will come in as a blank slate called urban reserve. In other words, a developer could just use it however they want. Once again, nothing compelling them to do mixed use or higher density. Uh, my organization has suggested that newly annexed land come in as mixed use, one form or another, but specifically stated mixed use. And that sets the tone, it sets the, the direction, um, the implication that what our community has in our comprehensive plan is we want higher density mixed use. Now a developer could always apply to rezone that as they can always in any case whatsoever to a lower density um, single dwelling. But it should come in as mixed use. Um, Coming up on your three minutes here. Finally, um, I just want to point out that any of these activities, any of these ideas are going to slowly develop in the existing neighborhoods. But west of K-10 is 2,000 acres of potential. Right. That's where your impact can be. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Thoughts? Uh, I have some thoughts, but. Nicholas Ward, real quick, with Tenants to Homeowners. I mean, one of the things that we talked about before was what it looks like for incentives for mm -hmm. increased density and what we were talking about. And I think we had looked at before some examples and I've been gone for a little while, uh, but um, <laughs> looking, looking just at examples of how other communities did like a tiered incentive package based on um, included percentage for affordability. And so instead of having, let's say 5%, 10%, 15, just a single thing, they, you know, they started at 10% and went up to 100. And at every graduated level, you received a greater incentive package. I see. That's interesting. That's a good idea. The one example that um, I highlighted the most was the city of Austin, because they have the same scenario as us, where the state has disallowed inclusionary zoning. They utilize an incentive uh, package, and it's been overwhelmingly successful that developers have opted to take the incentive packages and done the inclusion of, you know, 1530 uh, year affordable housing or permanent affordable housing. So that also that time frame of how long it's affordable is a factor within those packages as well. Um, so that's, I mean, that's something personally I would love to see in what we're doing is to see that kind of graduated package. So I had, 
I had three things written down through this whole conversation that I think maybe should be considered to be added to the recommendations as written. And one of them was, you know, to strengthen the incentives and get the right kind of balance, which is exactly what you were talking about. Uh, That's in there. Okay. And strengthen uh, the language around congregate living, which I think is also probably in there. Mm -hmm. But we need some more definition because we're, you know, obviously we're not quite there yet. Clarity. I understand based on Phil's explanation that the devil's in those details. We need to keep pushing on that. Um, one thing I don't think is in there is we talked about setting the zoning so that the, you know, when we get zoning, we have maximum lot sizes. So we know if somebody's zoning an R5 development that we're going to get R5 lots and we understand that density as opposed to having R5 lots and then we come in and they combine them and we got all R10 lots or whatever. Uh, so, so I think that's something we need to think about how that's because right now they're set as maximum density or a minimum density not maximum well so. jeff can really speak to this because what minimum okay the distinction between lot size and and housing unit density i think was a pretty big topic in the uh steering committee uh discussions yeah and I'm, i don't think i would even be able to do it justice given that it was a very robust and in-depth discussion of it but it yeah because the way the code would work today is if you're in the RS district, your, your detached dwelling district, it's one unit unless you have certain provisions in the code, but it's effectively one unit on a lot of a minimum size of whatever the base zoning district is. Mm -hmm. In the RM district, it is structured as dwelling units per acre. So when you see the RMs and they have a number trailing onto them, right. it's the number of dwelling units per acre up to a maximum of 32 units per acre in the RM32. So the, the initial conversation the steering committee had um, almost a year ago probably I think at this point was is 32 the right top end number should it be 50 60 right. something of that nature um, the other conversation was in the code we call it stratification you have some very districts that are very stratified where you they have zero overlap so if you think of them like um, like this in many ways you can't be in, in this one and this one in some ways what you talk about is blending the two at the top or levels so the bottom of one may be the top of the other so you may allow some uses in one but then it also could permission to go into the other one too so, so my, give me an example so give me a location give me a is this downtown is this multifamily it, it could be multifamily it could be downtown so there's a lot of those kind of the blendings that occur as the districts progress to their intensity so you might and this is not in I'm just going to kind of okay. throw it out of thin air. You might have a single family district that also allows duplexes at a certain size. And then there's a duplex district that would allow apartments at a certain level. And then that district may then allow commercial at a certain level. So there's a little bit more of a, of a blending of the intensities going up instead of just that hard stratification of what we see in our code today. So right now, when you look at our code, you're either detached dwelling or you're a duplex. And there's different right. districts. You are what you are. You are what you are. And now you can build a house in a duplex area, which confuses people. You can, yeah, and that's kind of the part of the <laughs> thing. Lower use. Yeah. Yeah. I hope so, I did that right for you. So if we were talking about a recommendation for us to try to push forward, what would we write as a recommendation in like this document that we should be looking at to kind of correct some of the some of the issues where you can you can zone certain way and then you can always basically work downward you can go yeah. downward automatically what we want to do i think that's what i think we ought to do 
is if somebody zones something, we ought to know that that's what the expectation what is. What the expectation well, is that we're getting the density. You know, don't somebody have somebody come in here and sell a subdivision on R3 or R5 lots if that's not what we're going to get. Mr. Chair, I would recommend yeah. a piece of language, and then I would also sure. recommend that we take a vote on what we have, because right. <laughs> we have nearly everything that we've talked about covered, with right. possibly the exception of, of, of this topic. Um, and I would just add under A, uh, a new heading, uh, new number five, that says uh, we, let's see, I read this in my head very well, um, that we want zoning district uh, definitions to reflect the actual density that would be provided there. Thank you for that language. That's well said. Um, Mr. Chairman, I have a question. I is there something inherently wrong with, we'll say we have minimums, maximums, whatever. Um, is there something inherently wrong to the world for me buying two lots and building one house in the middle of it? Is that, am I a bad guy? <laughs> not honestly. Not helping our density and affordable housing issues. So okay, but <laughs> that's, but if, if that's there what were, you would be. If the, okay, so if there were two houses built there for half the price, mm -hmm. that wouldn't be unfortunately. But you're telling me I did help our density or our affordable housing problem? No, because I did not. I built two houses. Now all I want to do is build one. The affordable housing issue to me is apart and separate from the growth and development of the community as people wish it to be. See what I mean? No, I'm not following you. Uh, okay, a residential subdivision that's 16 lots and 16 houses somehow is better than a residential subdivision with 16 lots and 14 houses. From a density standpoint, I would say yes. It uh, okay. So how did that hurt affordable housing? It put less houses on the market. The so what you're telling builders, me is if... Builders are saying that there aren't enough houses to sell, and that's part of why our prices are going up. We need more well, but product we, on the market. Okay. And so you less houses, it's less... Okay, so if you really want to affect affordability, that's you need one to... component. Okay, well, that's, that's the one you're making me build two houses instead of one. But if you really want to affect that, you have got to create mass. You've got to create lots of opportunities. Right. If you said you wanted to build one row house with four units, I'd say, man, you should go for it. Because then I got four units on two lots. No, I understand. But you're going to have to create an oversupply of lots, whether they're tiny or big or small. Right. And that, you're going to have to expand the boundaries of the community. Not disagreeing with you. Okay. Disagreeing with not at all. Okay, so um, basically we have this document. We have added a fifth item under districts, which is basically zoning districts. Zoning should, ref uh, should reflect what's actually going to, is what's actually expected. And you said it much better than I did, so. Hoping Leah caught it. Did Leah, did Leah caught that. catch what she said? That was real. Add that one line to this document. Can, can that be phrased as maximum density? Or, no, minimum, I'm sorry, as minimum housing unit density. Is, is, that, is, that where, is, that where, is that where you're driving at, Karen? I was looking at actual density so that it's a known factor, that whatever that zoning district is, it reflects the density and not just square footage of, of what is 
available. The density of units to be built, not. Right, the density of units, right. Yes, the available density of units. And I don't want to beat this up, but the there is it is it can it boil down to it to a single number, or is it or is it a is it a range? I mean, if you have, I, th I think we don't have to go to that level of detail for this discussion. I'm not saying we should. Okay, okay. <laughs> You're getting down in the weeds again. I know, I know. I so does it reflect what we want to do? That, Guilty that, as charged. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, that's fine. You're in the weeds, and we love it, Phil. But yeah. I got to keep the meeting moving. So, sorry. I would uh, love to have a motion to accept this document as modified. Um, a motion. So for that. moved. Okay. And seconded. And seconded. Is there any further discussion? See nobody online. Okay, I'm going to call the roll. Karen. Yes. Nicholas. Yes. Phil. Yeah. Mark. Yes. Christina. Yes. Erica. Yes. Dana. Yes. Thomas. Yes. Monty. Yes. That motion passes 9-0. Great discussion. We're going to move on to the next item. <laughs> Thank My, you. Michael, will you? Well, you're trying to get at I wanted to ask you a question about that, but I've got to. If you hang around, I'd love to talk to you. Okay. <laughs> Okay, you, you might have something better to do. Item Mr. two Chair. here: discuss and consider five-year affordable Chair. housing advisory board goals. I apologize for interrupting you. Can can I just um, interject one thing before we move on? Sure. Um, it, there was discussion around providing specific recommendations around affordability incentives. How would the AHAB like to get to that level of specificity? Does the AHAB want to make recommendations? I have an idea. We have a motion that passed. Yes. We have it, oh, no, I'm not talking about for this. No, that member the increase. I'm about the next step. Yeah, so I think it should go to the subcommittee personally yeah. and work on that. Okay. Or, I mean, I think they've heard the discussion here, and if you have ideas to. Or, or better yet, we've hired a consultant to, to actually do the work, and they've got to be brimming with ideas about this. This is what they do, right? They, yes, they have worked in a lot of communities on a lot of these different yeah. things, and so they have some great ideas. They just, like I said, they put numbers in there to kind of get the conversation started, but we can have them watch this, have the discussion, yeah. and kind of take that review and come back with stuff too. Okay. Okay, and that's why we have people on that committee to bring up these things and push them, so. Okay, okay. thank you. All right, we're going to go to item two, discuss and consider five-year affordable housing advisory board goals six and seven, increasing racial equity in housing and increasing community engagement on affordable housing and the related strategies. So um, if you could pull up those things. We have some recommended strategies. Uh, How do I get this off of here? That's great. We're trying to go through these goals and, and firm up. If you don't recall, we're trying to go through these goals that we created at the workshop kind of firm up some of the strategies because we did not get through all of the strategies in the goals. So we're starting at the bottom because we had the least amount of work on the last two goals. <laughs> so just for clarity, we're starting with six oh, and seven Okay. Uh, because uh, some of the other ones are probably simpler and mm. so on increasing uh, racial equity in housing, 
the first strategy, and I would really want to just kind of go through these goals and see if we're in agreement, disagreement, uh, do a little wordsmithing if we need to. Mr. Chair, can I ask uh -huh. a question? Sure. Um, are we, do we have some draft output goals that we are voting on, or are we creating those in the meeting at the moment? Because there are no output goals for six or seven, and there are for all the others. Mm. In which case, I'm not sure that that's something that effectively will happen today. Right. I just, we got to get started on it at some point. Um, so I don't and, know if we Oh, I'm so sorry to interrupt again. I'm not in the room, and it feels really weird for me to No, go on. I'm not good at seeing. Um, yeah, but um, I do want to um, understand, too, that, that we received an update from the uh, subcommittee on the Land Development Code. We do have um, two participants that are participating in the Equity Inclusion Subcommittee of the AHAB's Inclusion in the City's Strategic Goals for Houselessness. Or uh, It's a very heavy word or title, but in it, which um, Mario Fierro and Lacey Rowe are the people who are in charge of constructing those agendas and moving that forward. Um, should we consider maybe um, talking a little to that? Um, because as I read our strategies, there are some planned action steps and some uh, established strategies that are embedded within the, the equity inclusion that are, are in somewhat alignment with our two goals that do not really have those kinds of engagements yet attached to them. So my question is, uh, maybe uh, Erica, um, I know that they were present during that meeting in July. I myself was present too, but maybe giving um, an update to that subcommittee as we were there in representation for AHAB in that space would be uh, helpful. Yeah, I'm open to that, certainly. Okay, great. And, and um, I'm just, I'll quickly, I'll make it quick. Um, I wrote some notes down, and please, Erica Zimmerman, you were present as well, so if there's anything that I miss or anything that you'd like to touch upon, uh, please do. Uh, so I would say uh, in July, the um, AHAB inclusion into the equity inclusion subcommittee uh, branch, uh, there was 10 attendees at this meeting. Um, there were a few planned action steps and some that were moved to agreeance and voted upon. I'll touch on some that were, uh, I think, stuck out for me and Erica, like I said, please do step in and add any more additional information. But the planned action steps look like something we're talking about, about engagement and other related strategies within AHAB's goals. Um, one was to develop a comprehensive terminology that informs strategic plan and supports a shared vision of equity equity throughout all agencies and local governments. The action set was to make an easy read version of resources available to the community. Uh, that was for access for individuals who have language processing disabilities or speak English uh, as a second language. Those individuals who also have maybe brain injuries and as well as folks with other temporary or permanent disabilities that impact language processing. So some of that community engagement looked to be action steps that we also have talked about when we have related uh, equity and inclusion uh, as it relates to our community uh, and those who are, are we are looking to make sure uh, receive some housing um, stabilization. Um, another action step I will touch upon briefly was to establish roles for individuals with lived experience 
um, by identifying facilitators and resources to support ongoing frequent community engagement sessions. This, I think, hurts to community education of an outreach piece, which I think is embedded to each one of our strategies as well, a community engagement and understanding even the language that's embedded in our um, applications for others to access. Uh, so we want to have more of an engagement with folks who would love to be a part of um, maybe putting together and making their own application process be something that they make an action. Um, I think I'm repeating myself, but the action and step and strategy would be also to identify major policy and project initiatives which ensure equitable access to housing and houseless services. So that works with direct financial assistance. Um, but I, I wanted to just point out too that specifically as we address and support restorative housing programs and develop projects geared towards accessibility, Um, we were given great examples from a presentation from Lacey Rowe and from Maria Fierro in July. And we know that there are cities that are using their affordable housing programs for black residents as actionable on a local level and complementary to a broader national program for reparations. So as we look at, two the examples such as Evanston, Illinois, Santa Monica, California, um, and uh, also there is um, there's an equitable black Berkeley being created in California. And these are examples of the bigger communities, smaller communities doing that work um, to make it a restoration and restorative practices in housing. So we don't have to recreate any actions that aren't already being used and that are sustainable and that our agenda and our goals can also reflect some of these cities as we kind of scope them and narrow them down to what Lawrence would look like as they would benefit for some of these strategies. Um, but I think too, um, I, I will just kind of quote um, Mr. Bueller here, um, that it's about time that we, we you know, should be standard fare to be doing some of these things and moving some of these actions. Um, there was, there is a, a time to do and address housing disparity in, in Douglas County or in Lawrence. And some of these examples that I've shared with you just now, and then other examples that the equity and inclusion group are looking to do just that. Uh, so that's just a sum up and a wrap up of that July meeting. The next meeting will be Thursday, August 17th at nine o'clock. I plan on attending and uh, coming back with some more follow-up notes. Thank you. Thank you, Christina. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. Is it okay if I just um, provide a little bit of context for the draft recommended strategies sure. that are here? Um, so um, the strategies that are recommended in this draft form are based on the affordable housing section of the housing and homelessness community strategic plan um, goal related to this specific thing, increasing racial equity in housing. And so the reason that these are draft strategies is so that we can be aligning those plan strategies when appropriate. Um, I did not include in, in that plan, and Erica might want to speak to this because she she wrote out the action steps for that. It goes into more detail um, what the actual action items related to the strategies would be. I don't think in the AHAB document we need all of those that specificity. Um, it, 
so that's where these recommendations come from for discussion. And one thing that I was, um, that, that the AHAB might want to consider is what is the AHAB's role in moving the this goal and strategies for in other words what what is the ahab role in taking ownership over these strategies and defining are they ahab strategies or are they housing and homelessness community plan strategies and where does that get delineated so we can just make sure who's sort of taking responsibility for leading that work thank you leah um i'm i'm looking at these strategies and obviously the to me, the first one really falls in our wheelhouse in that, you know, if we're awarding funds, we need to be looking for and promoting projects uh, that address this. The other thing I think that we really are involved in is the code strategy, <laughs> the development code update, and we need to be pushing, uh, pushing this, you know, and making sure these, are, these things are addressed in that code strategy. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm trying to look at these other things and I'm not sure which others of this grouping, not that they're not good things to do, but really fall under Affordable Housing Advisory Board's uh, work, if you will. So I'm certainly open to conversation. I, I agreed to some of that. Um, I don't think active training necessarily, it's uh, point number two under mm -hmm. goal six, um, falls really under this board other than what we do through the, the, the grant narrative process. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's framework, but I think that training happens elsewhere. Somewhere else. Um, and hiring consultants, I don't know that we have a budget or have um, access to funds for something like that. I think it, uh, I just think that's probably not our wheelhouse. Right. It's the only two I've flagged so far. I, I agree with those points. Yeah. I, and kind of. Yeah, I don't see us developing a home ownership education program. This is Dana. I, I don't know. This is the interruption. Yeah, go. Um, Dana, Family Promise. I think that I agree with Karen and the use of the word train, but I would, I would really endorse, based on the conversations we've had numerous times in this committee, to encourage, use words like encourage dialogue, encourage discussions of historical housing practices, because so much of what we come across uh, is directly related to historical uh, perceptions and such, and, and we're not necessarily as a community really aware of it. We have a narrative in this community that is rather biased, and, and we embrace that narrative as being, you know, part of the, the whole Civil War narrative, and it's not really how things really roll necessarily. So I think we can encourage that. We don't have to be the one who defines the training, but not just through our NOFA and not just through our application process, but really embrace education and discussion of these hard topics straight up. I think that's really critical, and it's something this board can do routinely. Mm, I think maybe embracing education takes the place of that training piece. Mm -hmm. and, and then I would agree with that, that point there. And I think that embracing education also puts us on the learning side as well as the teaching side. And I think that that's healthy too. Thank you. Lee, are you catching that? 
Okay. Uh, Nicholas Ward of Tennis Homeowners. I was going to say that. Uh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Nicholas, you go, and then Erica's got her hand up. Sorry, Eric. Uh, real quick, uh, goal seven kind of starts that, that I could imagine that based on conversations that are being had or not had, that when there is an increase in community awareness and engagement, that some of those discussions are, um, or conversation points are aired so that there's a greater um, common understanding of issues that surround affordable housing and equity. Um, the other thing real quick I was going to touch on is that the, um, oh, the tenant opportunity to purchase policy seems like a, a code-based thing, or at least a policy-based thing that could at some point be addressed. I had to look that up because I wasn't familiar with it, but it was, um, it's essentially that, let's say, when a, a mobile home park or an apartment complex is going up for sale, that then all of the tenants would be made aware of that, and there would be an opportunity for them to collectively make a purchase of that. So the, the, the seller would still get their money and everything. It's just that people would then be able to become shared owners of something versus tenants of something. And so I think that would get at a number of the things we're talking about. I don't know how you institute that or how notice is achieved for that, but it sounds like a, a sound policy. I know I've heard of that happening in other places with mobile home parks and it's been successful. And also condominiums and cooperatives in larger cities where we all, yeah. They sold it and they band together and bought the property. That's controlled at this, at my understanding, based on my research on mobile home parks, is that that's that's state level stuff. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, no, at least in the mobile home mobile home park noticing requirements about about those rights to do or not do. Right, probably state stuff. But a good idea. Yes, I, I agree. And, and I think I actually think it could be broadened. And, and I think that's something that, that Ahab could address in, in downtime maybe is I think that general language of tenant opportunity to purchase as a policy could encompass a lot of things. But I think it would be worth Ahab looking at trying to develop sort of some sort of policy to I mean, I've, I've been in the contract for deed business for over a decade, you know, that's been my model. And so th those kinds of things, you know, maybe have some possibilities. You don't sound, you don't sound too enthused, Mark, but. Uh. Well, aren't, those, aren't there call clauses? No, no, okay. I'm getting in the weeds. We're both in the weeds now. I'll be quiet, yeah. Yeah. Well, this document is policy related the, right. the document we were working on just previously is recommendation to policy so i think some of that wordsmithing is okay to be in the weeds in in this in ways that it was less helpful in the previous document so right. i would okay. say it's okay. erica's got her hand up i'm gonna Sorry. Sorry. turn the floor over to her for a minute thank you erica zimmerman lawrence habitat i just wanted to make a couple comments on um, the recommended strategies. Um, first of all, I just wanted to echo what Dana said. I think we we need a strategy in there about becoming educated um, and maybe not training our, but ourselves being trained in some of those um, words and uh, phrases that we're using. But also, um, I wonder, there's been uh, mentioned several times of different groups that are working on plans and working on these uh, strategies as well. I wonder if one of our strategies isn't just a recognition or a um, 
um, kind of a charge to learn what these other groups are doing and understand these plans as well. And that we recognize that there are other people working on this and that as a body, we know what those plans are and understand what those plans are in order to um, help achieve those goals. So I just wondered if that might be a recommended strategy as well. But I would agree that everything under the first two bullet points are more are already being worked on in other groups. Under the first two? Mr. So. Chairman, I, I concur with her comments. And as the person that doesn't uh, run organizations like many of the members on this board do, I'd like to understand what they do every day, actually, as a basis for understanding. Because we do have a lot of people out there working on lots of this. Um. Leah, do you think you have enough information to kind of redraft this and bring it back? This is Leah Roslin. Um, let me just do a, a check for understanding, please. Okay. Um, so what I have, what I have heard is that the AHAB wants to maintain the first bullet point, prioritize trust funds, embedding racial equity, revise the second strategy to um, provide for training and education for the Affordable Housing Advisory Board on racial equity and housing, um, add an additional bullet um, along the lines of recognizing and understanding community housing plan strategies as related to racial equity and affordable housing goals and eliminating the remainder of the bullet points. Is that correct? I see Erica nodding. It is by me. I have a question on the second to last bullet yeah. point in terms of um, developing a home ownership education program. Um, usually those fall under CHODOs, uh, uh, community housing development organizations that run programs like that rather than a board like this um, because there's funding available uh, so a nonprofit would have to go for that funding, et cetera. So I don't know that that, that necessarily falls under us. Um, but I, And so I guess my other wordsmithing of that point probably are not needed. This is Leah Rosal. So what what I heard was that that would be eliminated. Everything from this third bullet point on would be eliminated from the AHAB strategies. Is what I heard. Mm -hmm. Is that I heard? Is that consistent? I see Erica nodding. Yes. Okay. But then adding the bullet point for learning what other groups are doing and recognizing our role. You know, trying to coordinate right. our role in that. Right. But let me make sure I'm, I'm clear. This, but, so we're eliminating this notion of uh, established tenant opportunity to purchase policy? Is that is that no longer, or am I in the right? No, that would be eliminated. They have doing that part would be eliminated, not necessarily that whole thing being eliminated, just AHAB being responsible for that goal and strategy. Okay. I mean, who, who, who's going to do that then? Well, don't tenants to homeowners do some of that? I believe, I could be wrong, but I believe that's in a strategy in the housing and homelessness plan somewhere, okay. or am I wrong about that? Okay. You're correct, Erica. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's fine then. As long, yeah, as long as somebody's covering that area, I'm, I'm good with that. Okay. 
All right, so you'll, Leah will you know, rework this. We'll see this again. Okay. There'll be another opportunity. All right. Um, Leah, I'm going to ask, uh, do we have time to go on to the next item or do we need to get the mid-year report? I don't know what Danny has along that report will take or if we need, or if we have time to go to goal seven and. Uh, this is Leah Rosalind. The mid-year report is, um, Danny will not be presenting on that. That's the Affordable Housing Trust Fund recipient mid-year reports. And so that can be a quick review unless any AHAB members have any discussion. Um, so we need discussion. 10 minutes for that? Five, maybe. Five? Okay, yeah. so we have probably 10 minutes to work on this next goal seven then? Is that? Okay, so let's take a shot at this and then again, we'll have Leo kind of wordsmith it and kind of bring it back. So this is your last shot, just first shot. And so, do you see, I mean, the, the, I, I think that the first recommended strategy makes sense, right, for us to use a portion of what funds we have to, to do outreach. We've talked about how we don't have an awful lot of impact in the community, mm -hmm. people don't know what we do, so that makes sense. Uh, is, it, is it our purview to convene an annual for, uh, forum, or perhaps just encourage that to happen and, and find partners to make that happen because I don't see us, I don't see this body. Yeah, maybe convene is the wrong word there and it's, I don't know. Encourage. Encourage, <laughs> initiate, I don't know what. Would, well, perhaps. Maybe not initiate. Encourage and collaborate on. Yeah, that would. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, because I think we want, I mean, it's something we'd like to see, but I do not see us being the uh, the, the carrier of that. Yeah, we're not yeah. starting it. We're, I mean, we can perhaps get that idea out there, and maybe the housing and homelessness uh, body can do. You know, they're right. We can write in a recommendation to the city to conduct an annual forum on affordable housing. Mm -hmm. There's certainly staff members that are more appropriate to convene than we are, but that would have to come, I think, from the city commission. Okay. Did you pick that up, Leah? I, I I did. I have collaborate on annual affordable housing forum as opposed to convene. Is that correct? I think we want to recommend recommend recommend, to, recommend to the city commission that that they convene that the city do something about that city. So um, this is a strategy that's also in the housing and homelessness community plan, which will be which both the city and county commission will take action on, and if approved, then my understanding is all the strategies would also be approved under that plan. So I'm wondering if there needs to be a separate recommendation by the AHAB for that, or if that can just come under the approval of the plan. I think the main clarification point is that it's not that piece of the of the plan is not going to fall under AHAB to convene and probably also not to recruit volunteers, that we want to be an active participant, but that those two roles are not appropriate for this body. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Perhaps just simply saving rather than convene, support and encourage or support and aid annual forums, community forums on affordable housing. Participate in. You could even reference the other plan that it's in. You could the, the community forum that's being. <laughs> yeah, that directed. other plan hasn't been approved by anybody yet. Okay. Any. Okay. And, and so perhaps for the time being, we just monitor the progress right. of that and see how we can work together. Okay. 
Let's move on. I think we got the gist of that. Let's move on to the next one. Recruit volunteers to lead community engagement and affordable housing issues and events. I'm not. And as Karen, I mean, Karen already yeah. said, that's not our role. We're, We're not really. That's right. not. Volunteer management's so. tough enough without a board. <laughs> right. yeah. yeah. So we eliminate. Okay. Yeah. So we eliminate the last one. The last one. Yeah. Yeah. I'd like to talk about annually allocate percentage of affordable housing trust funds for marketing and community engagement. Go ahead. I would like to see us consider that. I'm not ready to say we're going to allocate part of that. I think that's a much larger discussion on about whether we're here to put units on the ground or whether we're here to do other things. And I'm not saying we shouldn't. I just think it's a bigger discussion than just to say we're going to allocate a percentage. I think that's a cart ahead of the horse there. I, that was my initial reaction too, but then I'm also still fairly new on the board and didn't know what decisions had already been made specifically about that. I don't think date. we've made any so decisions. Made any decisions okay. about that. We've had um, one brief conversation about it, I think, and that might have been it. You know, I think we could say something about considering uh, providing trust funds for marketing and community engagement or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> What do the people think about that? Um, I, I would like to see a proposal, <laughs> what we're going to get for what we're going to spend before I'm ready to say we're going to allocate funds to anything. I think we can request from staff a recommendation uh, for us to discuss on what that would look like. Um, okay. And, and on that final point, rather than striking it entirely, I, I think it is entirely appropriate for AHAB members to be um, involved in community discussions on affordable housing issues and events. I think there needs to be a communication channel established. I think we're part of that. Um, I don't think we're recruiting volunteers, but I do think we are actively involved in policy decisions and community conversations around affordable housing and should be. Good point. Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Lawrence, I agree with Karen, and it, it brings back to Mark's question a few minutes back about what other, what people on this committee are actually already involved with and such. We do need to formalize some of that updates, so we're actually working in concert with all the other moving parts. I personally disagree with having an allocated percentage of our tax dollars go to marketing and community engagement. I think that needs to happen. I'm not saying that, but in the same way where we continually have the conversation about support services, this to me is that on steroids. It's a, it's a whole different level of misuse of what the community believes our trust fund dollars should be for, which is putting houses uh, in our community. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. I don't have an opinion about this, but the AHAB voted for this as a goal to add this year, increasing community awareness and engagement. And so at this point, what I hear the AHAB supporting in terms of a strategy is supporting and collaborating on annual affordable housing forum. And that's the sole strategy that would support this goal, which I'm wondering if the AHAB may want to reconsider having this as a goal if there won't be trust funds put towards it. That's not what I, I'm, Leah. Oh, okay. Monte, that's Thank not you what for I'm hearing in conversation. Okay. So I'm going to summarize what I think I've heard. Okay. Um, one, that we would participate in the affordable housing forum or and support that. Two, that we would uh, volunteer in and community engagement for affordable housing issues and events that this board itself would volunteer as representatives to support this effort. So there's two. 
And then, uh, and somebody may disagree maybe with me, but I'm gonna say on that, uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that we're gonna allocate funds, but that we would you know, support the marketing and community engagement, which I don't know if that's just a restatement of yeah, the original just goal. Christina, family promise of Lawrence again. Sorry to interrupt no, you there, Monty. Good. I agree with that. It's the allocation of our percentage of the trust fund dollars that I disagree with. I support that the city pays helps pay for this, and that we encourage this kind of conversation so that we don't go out into a community with our friends and they don't even know about AHAP. You know, this is especially important as we get closer to another vote on this sales tax. So we need to have that discussion out in the community, but I don't think it needs to be paid for by affordable housing trust dollars. Uh, Nicholas Ward, Tennis to Homeowners. Um, I agree with that. The allocated percentage seems random because there's always different amounts. And so a percentage, it might not, one year it might, you might need more than what's allocated. One year you might not need a total of what's allocated. And I think I think I was one of the parties that suggested this initially, and part of my thinking was just things that we've heard from developers of not really understanding what the opportunities are and how to engage with the application process that we have, that that's, a, that's an education component that would come from um, those who are administering um, how affordable housing can be accessed by those people in the community um, through uh, city-funded dollars. Um, and then also just just what you mentioned, Dana, about that vote coming up again. I've been doing some real kind of uh, legwork in neighborhoods, talking, going door to door, talking to people, and overwhelmingly, what I find is that people are well intentioned and really uninformed about what affordable housing is at this moment in our com community and who it serves and how to access it. Like all of the components, there's. Um, they somehow haven't received the information, aren't tuned into channels where that's being provided, and so I think it's that information has to be brought Living. to them through some work, and that was part of the suggestion in here. I think for sure when that vote's coming up again, people really understanding um, what what the need is in the community and how this is meeting that. What it looks like. Yeah. Well, I think if that Mr. I think that that's where that forum thing notion comes in. I think it it could be beneficial to. What the attendance might consequently be, I don't know, but I think that the notion of, of this combined forum and merging plans and, and, and trying to inform the general public, I think, is, is a great idea. Mr. Chairman, mm -hmm. um, we could get a meeting of builders and developers in a room and get 75 of them there as long as we had a curriculum to present to them and talk about this in general and take questions, that would be free, other than time. Great. Um, it's the volunteer part. And, I'd, and I'd, I'd be willing to participate. I don't want to lead it. I'd be willing to participate it. Um, my career is, uh, I've been intertwined with people in that industry all my life, all my working life. And so I might keep some of the, <laughs> I might keep I might keep some of the anger down for those that are providing the information, um, but we don't have to budget for that. Um, I'm not as strong with other people, but realtors we could see we could be a part of a realtor understanding uh, like like easy like just ask them they'll they'll have a party. So 
Um, there are places to go and things to do that I'd be willing to be a part of that would help get information out. Um, but I don't think marketing dollars out of our budget should go to this. All right, so I think we're in agreement we want to strike the annual allocation part, but still have something there about engaging. So Leah, do you have it? I'm trying to move us on. Do you have enough there to rework this so next time so we can kind of? This is Leah Roseland. So what I, what I have is support marketing and community engagement via affordable housing trust funds or something. And I hear that there's further discussion needed on that. And just a reminder that the AHAB voted to include that in the NOFO in the application as an allowable um, as an allowable allocation. And so mm -hmm. I, at this time, I'm, I'm a little bit confused because it's already in the application in the NOFO as, as what could be an allowable project for trust funds. Is that being striked or? No, go ahead, Dana. I'm a Jump in there. Okay, this Dana Ortiz, Family Promise of Florence. I think there's a difference saying an allowable project in a NOFO and versus this is what we will do annually. We will allocate a percentage annually of our trust fund dollars for this purpose. So one allows us to consider that at, with an appropriate project, and the other one means that we will allocate annually parts of the trust fund dollars. And I, I am against the allocation annually. I'm not against looking at, well, we need some more information. We need to engage the, pu the public. I mean, the pandemic showed us life can change in a minute. So can the course of housing. So I think allowing that in ANOFA is, allows that flexibility. Putting it as a strategy keeps us that we have boxed in that that's what we have to do every year. So maybe in the recommended strategies, it just says, make this an allowable NOFO application line, you know, whatever, however we state that. It's allowable. It doesn't mean it's gonna get selected. We always have projects that don't get selected. And this group will make that decision based on the evaluation of those proposals, right? So maybe just say that we're, you know, we're, we will accept applications in the NOFO for marketing and community engagement. That's and that's helpful. the strategy that we've taken open the door for that one other, and then we'll make a decision one other thing that i think that's happening this year and maybe it was on there before but i'm helping somebody with a project to apply for um and and just leah your off your recommendation to contact you to have a discussion of the project one-on-one -on -one ahead of billing out all the application was such a peace of mind to this particular entity and they're very excited about doing that simple little things like that don't necessarily add cost besides time but it helps us broaden that community outreach so that we're approachable and that affordable housing is doable and exploring options things like that we can encourage strategies like that that encourage discussion and opportunity to learn without putting a lot of dollars behind it. All right. Thank you, Dana. With, go ahead. I very much Make agree with everything I've heard from Dana. I also wanted to uh, say we may want to line in there. It says that we, AHAB, will actively participate in any marketing and community engagement strategies that the city puts forward. So yeah. I, I think we will throw our weight behind work that's right. being done there. I think it probably needs to be staff-led, but I think that, the, that, that us individually and collectively as AHAB can participate in that and should. All right, I think that's good. With that, I'm going to close the discussion on this item and we're gonna let Leah have her five minutes for her <laughs> mid-year mm -hmm. reports. 
and uh, the, the then we're going to basically conclude. So. This is Leah Roslin, Affordable Housing Administrator. And the report is included in the agenda, and I'm not going to go over um, each one in specificity. Uh, just want to highlight the uh, some of the projects progress so far. So Bert Nash has um, is currently negotiating um, with property owners into contracts for purchase for the supportive housing units. DECA to this date still has not requested payment, so no progress has been made on their project to date. Um, you can see the Douglas County Housing Stabilization Collaborative outputs. Um, they served 184 individuals in, in quarters one and two. As of quarter two, Flint Hills Holdings had not requested payment for New Hampshire Street lofts. Tony did request payment recently, so we should see some updates um, in quarters three or four. Um, you can see the estates progress, um, they're, they're making good progress. Uh, the annex group had not requested payment as of quarter two, so no progress to report. Um, Independence Inc., I did, um, they include some really nice narrative that I encourage you to read on the impact of the trust funds, and some of these were particularly moving to me. For example, um, a senior who uses a wheelchair was assisted in having a ramp installed. Prior to the installation, she was rarely able to leave her home because she was not able to make it down existing front porch stairs. After the ramp installation, she was able to leave her home for the first time in over five months. That is such a huge impact. Um, and I encourage they have to read um, the rest of the narrative on the individuals that they serve. Uh, the Senior Resource Center assisted um, one individual in getting a water line um, up, um, repaired. Um, and then you can see the progress for tenants to homeowners still working through uh, their process. For these projects were actually funded in 2022, but they continue reporting until, uh, the, until com the projects have been completed. And that's all I have. I have one comment. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have the history that many of you do on this board, but I would appreciate very much if when you mention a project that you're very familiar with, and I'm not, the Michigan Six, I'd like to have an address. Would that be okay? There's some in here and some not. Um, the Harper Seven. I've got addresses. Um, you know, they're all interesting names. The, the, uh, Michigan is 105. 105 Michigan. Huh? 105 Michigan. It's right there in front of me. Is it? No, I think we can. We can it's, in the next report, we could probably add. I can identify with locations a lot better than I can with somebody's okay. name. I'd appreciate it. Sure. Great. Can I ask one question? Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Phil. I, I don't know if you'll know the answer, Leah, but, but I'm just curious. Uh, under the uh, Housing Stabilization Collaborative, what is the typical duration of assistance? The median or typical or whatever term you want to use. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, if you don't know, that's fine, too, but I, I was just curious. 
This is Leah Roslin. It's a one month of assistance, and I believe that they are eligible to receive it up to three times annually, if I'm not mistaken, although Dana probably can. Yes, thank you. Um, Dana Ortiz, Family Promise. It is an application process for one month assistance with a maximum for any family uh, that increases with number of dependents. So it is a maximum based on number of dependents in the household. Um, a maximum, oh, the maximum amount of assistance. Okay, got you. Correct, yes, okay. thank you. All right, thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. Number of people. With that. Oh gosh, I'm so sorry. This is not getting the weeds, I promise. Uh, oh, it was just an added addendum to next month's um, meeting in September. Uh, Leah or, or Monty, could we have a, a small, um, maybe something that has data that's behind what the equity impact collected uh, on those who will be affected by the proposed real estate taxes. The US 497 is going to be voting for um, an increase in, in real estate taxes. And I would just like to know uh, if there's been a collected equity impact that is looked to how that will um, affect those who have to pay that additional taxes. As it relates to affordable housing and what we talk about, could we have that conversation next month that be added into um, what we speak on um, and it could be something I can talk to Leah about uh, and, and Monty about separately about adding some things to the agenda and the calendar uh, but I would like to just kind of know how folks would be affected by the increase of their property taxes as the US 497 it will be voting to yay or nay that proposal Mr. Chairman go ahead if if we're going to do that, we might as well tell the whole story, which is that that's a mill levy increase. I didn't read it very well, but I assume they're talking about a mill levy. Mm -hmm. um, that has little to do with the money that I think you're getting to. Um, it has everything to do with if the mill levy doesn't change and the property valuation goes up 14%, the tax bill still went up. So, I mean, if, if you want to talk about that, I'm, I mean, I'm down with that. Um, but that adds two or three more pieces of work. We could compare to last year, what taxes did. Um, if, if, this is, if this is an affordable housing issue, then, then it is, and I'm happy to talk about it. This is Leah Roslin. Um, I'm I'm happy to add that to the agenda as an discussion item. If, um, however, I I'm not sure how much analysis that I or staff would be able to provide for that on the city I side. Agree. I agree. But I'm happy to add it for a discussion item for the AHAB if that would be beneficial. I would find it, thank you, Leah, I would find it beneficial. I mean, as we're talking about the impacts of, of adding um, accessibility to those who need it to uh, access their homes, I think uh, as we talk about equity and its um, impact on those who'd be paying more monies uh, in real estate, I think it, it doesn't negate a conversation that we can possibly have in September. Yeah. We can certainly look at the impact of what, you know, what the increase is going to be and have a discussion. Mr. Chair, I suspect we could request that information from the USD 497 board uh, rather than have staff right. create it. Right. Good point. Good point. Okay. Anything else for the cause? 
Uh, there are a couple, some articles uh, on the new business that uh, I think are certainly worth reading. And I'm going to let you read the upcoming calendar events. And if I have no other committee members that have anything to add, we're going to adjourn. Two minutes late. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. We two minutes late. <laughs> Perfect. We'll never get those two minutes back. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.